0: It's good to hear you singing the praises of the Lord. We're turning together in God's Word this evening to the Gospel of John and to the chapter 19. The Gospel of John and to the chapter 19. We have on recent Lord's Day evenings been considering Calvary together. And we're coming tonight to think about the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, John chapter 19, and moving down to the 28th verse. Verse 28 After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was on high day, besought Pilate, that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came the right blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea Being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of mare and aloes about an hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden and in the garden a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus therefore because of the Jews preparation day. For the sepulchre was nigh at hand. Amen, and we trust the Lord Himself will add His own blessing to this public reading from His own precious and infallible word. Once again. I... Amen. We're going to turn together, once again this evening, to the Gospel of John and to the 19th chapter. We have read the section from verse 28 down to the end of the chapter, but it is really this evening, the final section of the chapter, that we would focus our attention from verse 38 down to the verse 42, and we have details here concerning the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what we want to think about tonight in the gospel, the burial of of the Lord Jesus. Let's unite together in prayer and let us seek the Lord for his help and for his grace this evening in the ministry of his word. Our gracious God and our loving Father, we do thank thee for this gospel meeting tonight and we praise thee, O God, for that which has gone before. We rejoice that we can sing thy praise together And we thank thee, our God, for the great truths that these gospel hymns would convey to each of our hearts and even for the opportunity, our Father, to express our praise and our thankfulness to thee. And We would pray tonight as we come around the open book that thou wouldst bless thy word afresh to each and every heart and grant, our Father, thou wouldst use tonight the ordained means even to the furtherance of the gospel and to the salvation of precious souls. Hear us, O God, and abide with us now and be unto us all that we would need. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, all four gospels give their own account of the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of the Gospels would give more details than others, but those details can be combined together and can be compared, and they can give us something of that full picture of what we have concerning the burial of the Savior. For example, if you think about Matthew's account in his Gospel, he's the only one who tells us about Uh, the chief priests and the scribes coming and wanting the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ to be sealed and wanting a watch put upon it. Matthew furnishes us with that detail. We have been reading tonight John's account and it is only John who gives us the detail that Nicodemus was there. And you notice it there in the verse 39, and there came also Nicodemus. It's John who adds that particular detail in and tells us about the presence of Nicodemus at the burial of the Savior and his involvement in it. But all four gospel accounts tell us about a certain individual who was there by the name of Joseph. And he's identified as Joseph of Arimathea in order to distinguish him from other Josephs that are named in the Bible. And so as we piece the details together from the various Gospels, we learn that these two men were actually there. And we would say tonight that neither of these men would be considered to be major characters in the Word of God. There's but just a few verses of reference given to each one of them. But while we would say they're not perhaps major characters in the Bible, but they were given a major role in the Bible, the whole story of the gospel And of the crucifixion and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ, we find that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they have a very prominent role to play. These men were instrumental when it came to the preparing of the Lord's body for the burial and the actual laying of the Lord's body into the tomb. We're drawn to think about these two men so tonight, as we're considering the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're irresistibly drawn to think about the two individuals who were involved. And firstly, this evening, I want you to think about the presence of these men at the burial of the Savior. We're drawn to examine them because the Holy Spirit of God has included these men in Holy Scripture. And the Holy Spirit would want to draw them to our attention this evening. Now, the one that seems to have been to the fore concerning the burial of Christ is Joseph of Arimathea. And he's mentioned, he's referred to in all four of the Gospels. But if you look in our Bible reading here at verse 38, it says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus. And so if we were wanting to learn about this particular individual, here's the first thing that we learn about him. He's a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that term disciple, it means he was a follower. He was a follower of the Lord Jesus Further examination of Scripture would reveal further evidence that would suggest that Joseph was a saved man. When it comes to Luke's gospel and the account that he gives in Luke chapter 23 and in the verse 50, we read, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. He was a good man. Yet the Bible says there's none good. No, not one. And so when it's speaking about him as a good man, it would be an indication that he had come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly when you think about that description of him as a just man, he was a good man and a just one who was justified by faith in the Lord Jesus, one who was a good man, one who was a disciple of the Savior. Mark's gospel and his account, he would add that he was an honorable counselor. Now the word counselor is spelled different to the way that we would spell it, but he was an actual counselor there in the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin but it gives the designation of him that he was honorable, an honorable member of the council, and that he was a man with a good testimony, a man with a good reputation. And I say there's further evidence of the grace of God in his life. Matthew and Luke they would further record for us and Luke 23 and verse 51, for example, The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. Here's another detail that's added about Joseph of Arimathea. He was one who waited for the kingdom of God. One who was waiting was one who believed in those Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah and he was waiting on the fulfillment of those prophecies and promises. One who was waiting and waiting by faith. And so I believe tonight that we would be left in no doubt when we begin to piece those details together about Joseph of Arimathea that he was a genuinely converted man and he's present here for the burial. He's there whenever the Lord Jesus Christ died upon the cross. That's Joseph. But then Nicodemus, he was present too. And whenever you think about Nicodemus, perhaps we would be more familiar with him This is the Nicodemus of John chapter 3. This is the Nicodemus who came to the Savior by night. This is the one who called him Rabbi and who said, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. That's the Nicodemus. He entered into that conversation with the Lord on spiritual matters. Even though Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews and was a very religious man, the Lord just swept all of his religion to one side. The Lord said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And he brought before Nicodemus that great necessity of the new birth. That's the Nicodemus that's before us tonight. That's the Nicodemus who's present at the burial of the Lord Jesus. John chapter 3 doesn't detail his conversion. We don't know there that he actually got converted. But he also was a member of the Sanhedrin, that Jewish council. And whenever they were taking counsel together against the Lord Jesus, it tells us in John chapter 7... And there in the verse 50, Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? And when they were conspiring together for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, Nicodemus spoke up. Nicodemus spoke a word in defense of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it would be an indication that perhaps he was born again. But certainly whenever we come to John chapter 19 in our Bible reading, and we learn there that while Joseph of Arimathea seemed to take the lead and seemed to be the one to the fore, verse 39 of our Bible reading says, And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, He came to stand alongside Joseph of Arimathea. Both men are present. And I believe they're both saved men. And men who are going to be used by the Lord in this very important role. And so the presence of these men at the burial of Christ. But secondly, the profession of these men With both of these men, it would seem that at first they didn't publicly profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It seemed that that was something that they they didn't say outwardly. In fact, whenever you look there in our Bible reading at verse 38 concerning Joseph of Arimathea, we drew your attention to the fact that he was a disciple of Jesus. But the verse goes on to say, but secretly. He was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. In other words, there wasn't that public profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he was a disciple, all right, but he was a a secret disciple. He was not open about his faith. There was a reason for that. The reason is given in the center of verse 38. It was fear. He was a secret disciple because of fear, the fear of the Jews. Now, I wouldn't want to underestimate that particular fear because there was a substantial threat, the fear of the Jews and what they could do. You have an example in John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, there was the healing of the blind man who was blind from his birth. And whenever he was healed by the Savior, those who were opposing the Lord... The Pharisees, they came to his parents, and they said to his parents in verse 19, Is this your son, whom ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth, we know not." Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. And then verse 22, it describes it. And it says, these words speak as parents because they feared the Jews. Fear of what the Jews would do. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. That's what the fear was. If you confess that Jesus is Christ, you're out. You're put out. They would have been ostracized, removed from their position within the council. Life would have become very difficult for them in society in general, perhaps even within their family circle. Their livelihood uh, could have been put at stake. You're right. Fear of the Jews and what they could do if you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There was Joseph of Arimathea And he's a disciple, but he's a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. Do you know that fear is still abroad today? There's that fear within hearts today of not wanting to make a public profession of faith in Christ. Now I'm not speaking about those who were caught up in countries where Christianity is outlawed and they would be persecuted for their faith and they're forced into something of an underground church. I'm not talking about that situation. We're not under that threat here this evening. But there are still those who will not profess publicly the name of the Lord Jesus because of fear. Fear of mockery, fear of scorn, fear of what their friends would say, fear of what their work colleagues would say. There's something abroad today, it's called being cancelled. You can be cancelled. Maybe you say the wrong thing. There are those who decide they're going to cancel you and they're all going to unfollow you on social media and there are those who would fear today don't want to be cancelled. They won't publicly profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Joseph of Arimathea, for this time at least, his faith remains a secret. Nicodemus, we followed him a little bit there in John's Gospel. But every time he's referred to, it, it says he came to Jesus by night. Under the cover of darkness... Using the darkness there in case anyone would see him coming uh, to have a conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't want to be seen. Then of course he did speak out at the Jewish council. Albeit he wasn't fully uh, professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He would have been holding back somewhat. And so we could say concerning both of these men who are present at the burial of the Savior, they haven't made that public profession of Christ. That is until now. Changes now. What was it that changed them? Those men who were fearful before, all of a sudden they're full of faith. Faith. Those men who perhaps had cowardice are now showing great courage and great boldness. And they're certainly coming to publicly profess the Lord Jesus Christ now. What was the difference? The difference was Calvary. The difference was what the Lord Jesus Christ had just endured for them upon the center tree. It was after this, if you noticed it in the Bible reading, after this. You see, Calvary for them became something of a crossroads. Calvary was something that made a remarkable impact upon their hearts and upon their lives. We can no longer be secret disciples. We're going to come out publicly for the Lord Jesus Christ. Calvary changed these men. And Calvary still changes men. You see there in John 19 and in the verse 38, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate, that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there in front of everyone, he's even willing to go before Pilate. And he beseeches Pilate. That's a strong word. He besought Pilate. And he boldly came and took the body of Jesus. That, for me, is a public profession. In Matthew's Gospel, the chapter 27, and in the verse 58, it says he went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. He besought him and he begged him. And in Mark's gospel, chapter 15, and the verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. He besought him, and he begged him, and he went in boldly to him, and he craved the body of Jesus. Luke twenty three also uses the word begged, but in Luke twenty three and the verse fifty one, it says the same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them, and that was a reference to the decision that was taken within the Jewish council that was in opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ and was looking for uh, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so whenever it would have come to the vote in that council, here's the time, they're on the spot, they're going to have to take their stand. Even though the majority would be against the Lord Jesus Christ, here we have two men, Joseph of Arimathea, and probably Nicodemus along with them if he was present, they consented not to the deed and to the counsel of them. Just a minority, just a small minority, but they have found the backbone to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. How today we need to take that stand for the Lord In Matthew's gospel, and in the chapter 10, and there in the verses 32 and 33, the Lord said, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. There's the importance of it. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. And as we have over a number of weeks considered Calvary and all that the Savior has endured for us there, let us not be ashamed. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but let us be willing to profess his name even before others. The presence of these men, the profession of these men, but thirdly and very quickly, the provision of these men. Again, you could compare the gospel writers. These two men wanted to give Christ an honorable burial. And what they did here by way of provision it shows their devotion and it shows their love for the Saviour. In John there that we have read in chapter 19 and the verse 39, it's speaking about Nicodemus and what he brought. There came also Nicodemus which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes about an hundred pound weight. A hundred pound weight, he's bringing there uh, these things to prepare the Savior's body for the burial, the myrrh and the aloes, but a substantial amount to about a hundred pound in weight. Now you think of the difficulty of even carrying that, never mind the cost, the considerable value, but Nicodemus was willing to give. He probably was giving out of his abundance because he was rich. He was a man of means. But you can see that when it comes to the Lord, he's not holding back. And it's Matthew who tells us about Joseph of Arimathea, that he was rich. And he was providing the linen, that fine linen, that the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was wrapped in. And that fine white linen speaking to us of the purity, the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the very place where the Lord would be buried, there in the garden. That tomb belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. Matthew tells us that he had actually hewn it out of the rock himself. In Matthew, there it says, and Led it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled the great stone to the door of the sepulchre and departed. And so Joseph of Arimathea had this grave which he had purchased, and he had hewn it out of the rock, out of the stone. Hard work. No doubt, again, it would have cost a considerable amount, but he's willing to give it over willing to provide all of this for the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think about these two men and what they provided, you can see that devotion of heart that they would have had at this particular point. But for them, it was nothing. In comparison to what the Lord Jesus Christ had given for them, when they thought about the sufferings of Calvary and the Savior laying down his life, my, would there be anything too great for them to give in return? When I thought about it, I was reminded of the statement by C.T. Studd. And he said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. And the God-man, the Son of God himself, did lay down his life at Calvary. And in the light of that, we are called upon to present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service willing to give our hearts, willing to give our lives over, which is our reasonable service. The significance of Christ's burial? Well, it's the fulfillment of prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 53 and the verse 9, it makes reference there to the grave of the Lord Jesus And in Isaiah 53 and the verse 9, it says, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Well, when he was nailed to the tree, we could see that he was there with the wicked. There was a thief on either side of him, but with the rich. There was Joseph of Arimathea and there was Nicodemus and there was all that they gave. And Preparation for the Lord's body to be buried and the laying of the Lord Jesus Christ into that tomb, the tomb of a rich man wherein no man had ever laid. And the significance of the Savior's burial, not only with regard to the fulfillment of prophecy, but the fact that he was laid into the tomb uh, confirms the reality that the Savior died Whenever those centurions, uh, when the soldiers came uh, to break the legs of those that were upon the tree, they saw that he was already dead. And whenever uh, Joseph and Nicodemus would have taken the Savior, they laid him in the tomb because he was dead. The reality of the Savior's death, that also emphasizes the power of his resurrection because the cross tonight is empty and the tomb tonight is empty and the Lord Jesus Christ has risen victorious from the grave and can you see tonight the importance of every detail of scripture right down to the very burial of the saviour As we have considered over a number of weeks, Calvary, we have considered now the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would be drawn, drawn afresh to the Savior. If tonight there would be one either gathered here or at home and you're not saved, may your consideration of God's word tonight and of the gospel even of the death and burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, may it draw you to trust in the Savior, that each one tonight would ensure that it is well with their soul for all eternity and that you have come to personal faith in the Lord Jesus. Maybe tonight you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, but like Joseph and Nicodemus initially, You haven't told anyone. Oh, what a joy it would be to others if you would confess Christ as your Savior. What a joy it would be to hear of someone that perhaps we've been praying for and have actually trusted in the Lord Jesus. The Lord would give you grace to step out tonight, to nail your colors to the mast and to say, The Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. May God bless his word to each of our hearts. We're going to sing.